Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. Thanks, son. Well, I got some stories to tell you this morning. It's really, it's summer, you know. We're all doing various activities and having fun. And I took Friday off for a mental health day. That's what I'm calling it. I don't know if it really helped me very much, but um, I actually went with Nino and we went to the Diamond Hill Mine in Abbeville, South Carolina. And you're going, what's the Diamond Hill Mine? Well, there's no diamonds there. Uh, and there's no hill. In fact, it's, it's a big pit, actually. And uh, you can climb up to the top of the pit or you can be at the bottom of the pit. And what we did is we dug in the dirt all day long, trying to find rocks. <laughs> well, we found some rocks. But what I want to say is that I appreciate Nino going with me because he's blind. And so here's a guy that comes with me to hang out and have fun. And uh, we get there and it's uneven territory. I mean, everyone honestly is looking like, what's this guy doing here <laughs> looking for rocks? I mean, you hear the word, you're looking for rocks. You have to look and recognize <laughs> what you're looking for. And there were various things we were trying to do, amethysts and quartz, you know, various kinds. and. So I'm telling you this story is so encouraging to me because he got there and I could tell there was a point it's like, what am I going to do here? (laughs) And what he did is he sat down and he started digging. And he's digging, he's putting his hands in the dirt and he's feeling the rocks. He's going, this feels like a good one. This one right here. And he put it into a bucket. And at the end of the day, I think we had 30 pounds in that bucket of rocks. And he brought them home. But let him show you after church some of the specimens that we brought home. It worked. He has some cool stuff. And so uh, I was really very encouraged by that in our time hanging out. And he asked me this morning, so how do you feel when you got up the next day? And I was like, I was sore. I mean, we were, didn't realize I'd been digging that much. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying some good, let's call them mental health days, that you take a day, you do something different, you have an adventure uh, that renews you in some way. You have to do that sometimes. You really do. Uh, do something unusual that breaks the routine, and have a good time. Uh, that's very important. And uh, I, I just appreciate the companionship as well. I mean, If I went and did that by myself, and admittedly, there's not too many people that want to take a day off and go dig in the dirt looking for rocks. It's not many people that will do that with me. Uh, But he did, and so I found a buddy that will do that with me in the future. And that, I love that kind of fellowship. Perhaps there's someone that will do that one thing no one else will do with you. You can go have a good time. Do it. You know, go for it. Have an adventure. That's great. 
Um, uh, I do want to mention I'm glad to see Mike back from vacation, his yeah. family. And, you know, it's sad that Summer's not here. She's sick. Um, you know, sometimes you're working so hard that when you finally get the chance to rest, you just go, okay, now's a good time to be sick. So, <laughs> so I hope she recovers. Give her our love that we miss her. So I printed out my notes this morning. It's very interesting. So the, the notes, you'll quickly understand that the ink was running out. So my notes are most unclear at the very beginning, but it gets clearer toward the end. So things may be getting better towards the end <laughs> as we go, because it prints the last first. So I'm at, you know, bear with me here as a start, because I can't hardly read what I have here. But I didn't have many other choices this morning. But anyway, so we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, okay? And what we've been studying uh, this summer is renewal. And uh, 1 Corinthians is great as far as renewal because it really is talking about um, uh, a lot of different aspects of our lives that can be really um, tied to culture. And when we're talking about renewal, Keith pointed out uh, last week, there is no renewal without an allegiance to God's kingdom. And I was thinking, well, what in the world does that mean, an allegiance to God's kingdom? Well, I, when I, the only time I ever used the word allegiance was when I, I pledge allegiance to the flag, right? Well, I pledge allegiance to the kingdom, to God, okay? So when I'm thinking about allegiance to God's kingdom, I have to ask myself, well, is God really king? Is my allegiance totally towards him? If he's not king in my heart and mind, I'm going to struggle with being obedient to his will. I mean, that's truly the test of allegiance isn't it? When we have our will of things that we want to do, and then it's God's will is something else. And so as we're thinking about allegiance and our wants and desires, is he going to rule? I have my opinions. I have the things I think. Is God going to rule? And so those are the things that we've been talking about we know from the scriptures that if we love God, we'll obey his commandments. But there's a problem. If we don't have a clear understanding of what his commandments are, how are we going to do that? How are we going to obey? How are we going to be allegiant and submit ourselves to him? I may be making up vocabulary, but I do that. That's all right. <laughs> so if we're seeking to obey God rather than man, we have to be making different choices than the prevalent culture that's around us because God calls us to be distinctive, to be different. And so some of the things we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians is that Paul's been addressing factions, as Keith mentioned, materialism, sexuality, gender roles, marriage. These are relevant things for us today as, as he was writing them thousands of years ago. And in some ways, think about it, nothing changes. 
we're still addressing the same things. So what does God say? He has something to say about these things. These are 2021 culture issues. And, you know, it's very interesting. I can't recall a time in my life where the culture is so in your face every day. It's like social media, news. Um, uh, when I go to work, there's announcements. And, and even my work has PSA and screensavers that I have to look at whenever I'm working that want me to have messages about particular issues and things that um, they want me to think, they want me to approve of. And so when I go to school, if you're going to school, you have to deal with that in addition to just the courses that you're taking. And uh, when you're dealing with the government, the government has different expectations of how you're going to behave and live and the choices that you make. In addition to that, you know, we have our parents. They have thinking about things. We have our children. They have our spouses. And so in our relationships, these things are all in play. And you think about where it's all coming from. You know, I was thinking about, wow, just there's proclamations, there's holidays, there's protests, there's marches, there's gear, there's jewelry, there's clothes, there's all these things that connect us to messages that it's, it's just in our face. It's in our face all the time what the culture says how we should live our lives. What is an acceptable choice? What is not acceptable by cultural norms? Are you with me? I mean, I think all of us can relate to this. Whether you agree with them or not, that is a fact. So the issue here is sometimes we don't understand that there actually is a very clear difference between what God thinks about these things and what the culture says. We actually assume that God thinks the way man thinks. We, believe it or not, that's just kind of our thinking sometimes is we think this way, God must think that way. Let's look at a scripture in Isaiah 55. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's God just telling us, you don't think the way I think. You don't. Our natural selves just don't think the way God does. You know why? We're not God. We're his creature. So I think today... We'll learn just a little of how true this scripture is by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So let's go ahead and turn there in our Bibles. And when you get there, you'll probably see in the header above the chapter in a lot of our Bibles, it says food sacrifice to idols. So 
If you're visiting with us for the first time, you're hearing that we're going to discuss food sacrifice to idols. You're probably wondering what in the world is going on. Is this the burning issue of the day? No, <laughs> food sacrifice to idols, don't worry. Um, perhaps by the end of this talk, um, you will see and heard something that completely amazes you about God and uh, how he is concerned for each one of his children. So before we get started, let's, let's give a little background on 1 Corinthians. Uh, and basically, just to catch us up for those of us that have not been a part of this study, uh, Paul wrote the church in Corinth. And in the last several chapters that we've been going through, what we've been studying is that Paul's answering the church uh, questions that they've sent to him, that they've asked him. And he's responding to that and he's letting them know, here's what God says. Okay, so I love this because this is the issue. We think this, Paul says, God says this. Now, when that happens, then there's a choice, isn't there? All right, am I gonna do what I wanna do or what the world says I should do? Or am I going to do what God says? And so Paul covers uh, the issues the members of the church are having they're pressing lawsuits against each other. You're going, really? They're suing each other? Well, it was very common. Is that you had a problem with someone, you went to the magistrate. And you'd say, instead of working out within the church, within relationships, they were doing that. Um, they had a lot of issues with sexual immorality. And sexual immorality uh, being the, uh, you know, sex out of marriage, outside of marriage between a, a man and a woman. And so, he calls out a list of sins that will keep uh, disciples from inheriting the kingdom of God. And he gives them a, 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 all examples of those things that they're having to deal with that's going on around them. And say, if you continue to do these after you come into the kingdom, you're not going to heaven. What? <laughs> you know, well, there's a part of us that are saying, well, my body can do anything. My mind, as long as my mind's still allegiant to God, my body's doing this thing over here. I mean, there's a lot of different thinking going on. You're going, really? You could think that? Your body's doing one thing, your mind's doing another, it's good? Well, yes, that was going on. So he tells the church uh, that, the, the, that a disciple's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that, um, that they need to keep it holy. And uh, he talks about that we're not our own, that we were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And he addresses marriage, sex within marriage, disciples who have wives or husbands who are not disciples. And he talks about living a single life. All these are subjects that are going, wow. And I don't know how you felt as we've gone through these, but you're like, they can be kind of uncomfortable to listen to. <laughs> Today, you're like, ooh, yo. You're wondering, how does that person have visited with me thinking about this? I don't know how I think about this. And you go, okay, I need to work through these things. So he says disciples should only marry other disciples. So 
We're about to talk about another cultural issue that uh, the Christians in Corinth were having. And that what I need you to understand in the background about what's happening in, in where they were living is that the culture primarily worshiped other gods. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the focus was on promiscuity, prostitution. You're going, really? Yes. There was another group, a cult of Isis, that was originally from Egypt, and uh, their emphasis was on wisdom and uh, thinking. Uh, and you go, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but think it through. Another one was a cult of Mithras, and their emphasis was on mysteries and that certain people could have certain special understanding that no one else would know. And you had to do certain things to be part of that group, you know, to prove that you were a part of the group. Oh, interesting. So um, for each one of these things, they did sacrifices. They sacrificed food. They sacrificed meat. And so a part of that was uh, they gave some of the meat to the priests as his due, as his payment. The person who sacrificed could take some of that meat home with them. They could eat it, or they could turn around and sell it in the meat market. Then you had people, the priest, taking what he wasn't gonna eat, because he isn't going to eat all that meat, and he's selling that at the meat market too. So your whole meat supply is food that's being basically offered to idols. So now, you're a new disciple and you don't want to be like everyone else. That you have left this life, what are you going to do? Okay, so now you start to see the genesis of the issue of what's going on with these folks. So these were burning issues for uh, the disciples there and Paul gives us some principles in addressing this that are pertinent for us today. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 6 in chapter 8. So now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Okay. There's a lot covered here. This is like, what in the world? So, he says, now concerning food offered to idols. You see, all right, we got to the subject. Let's talk about it. All right. And so he gets into it. So I see three high-level points that we need to take away from this, this section right here. The first one would be, knowledge is proud, but wisdom is humble. Okay. Knowledge is proud, but wisdom is humble. Think about that. 
What makes knowledge proud? And why is wisdom humble? We'll come back to that in just a moment. And that the important thing is that God knows us. And that idols are nothing, that there is only one God. So, as far as knowledge being proud, I want you to notice something in the scripture. He puts quotation marks around different phrases. Remember, he's writing people, asking them a question about food offered to idols. Quotation marks. What do we do today? He says, you know, and then that means right there, it's almost like we take it to, as sarcasm. But he's repeating this because this is people, this was obviously in the letter that was being written to them, that this was part of what they were saying. We know this. We think this. We believe this is true. Okay. And so he's responding in using that to come, come back and help them. Does that make sense? So the quotation marks, all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge, an idol has no real existence, okay? There is no God but one, quotation marks, okay? So let's, let's kind of pretend here and put ourselves back with the Corinthians, what's going on here, and let's think like them just a minute. Let's, bear with me, let's have a little backstory here, and let's, let's think, we have a group of people contacting Paul, and they're saying, Paul, we need you to help us out here. There's some people here in our fellowship. There's some Christians here that have a problem with us eating this meat that's being offered to idols. And we know it's just meat. And we know there is no other God but God. And so can you please correct them? Can you instruct them? about what we know so that they won't give us problems when we go into a temple and eat, when we go to someone else's house who isn't a disciple and they hear that we sat down with them and we ate this meat, can you fix them for us? That's interesting, isn't it? Kind of a, again, this is conjecture. I'm, I, I think there's some basis of this. I think there's some insinuations here so we know the teachings that Paul gives us in response to this. Knowledge is proud, wisdom is humble. He, he, he basically responds by saying, your knowledge is the issue here. Because you're not using the knowledge in an appropriate way for your brothers and sisters. You go, well, how could that be? We're going to get into that. Okay. He says that the important thing is that God knows you, not what you know. You know, when you think you know something, the temptation is to be prideful about what you know. When Paul's saying how you use your knowledge is more important. So Paul goes on in this section, and he finishes it. He says, idols are nothing, and there is only one God. Yes, 
what you know is true, but you don't know as you need to know yet. Okay? So, let's move on. <laughs> In verses 7 to, uh, through 13, it says, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. All right, there's a lot here. So, we have these Corinthian disciples who have the correct knowledge, and then there's some that don't. They don't understand the teaching. And put yourself into that situation where all around this oppressive culture, I'll call it oppressive, that's how culture is to us. It's in our lives, it's pushing a particular way. If you're trying to live a distinctive life as a disciple and the culture saying, that's abnormal, that's wrong, you're wrong. We call it the cancel culture. You know, you say that, we have to silence you. You believe that, that's unacceptable. So you're facing that and you're coming out of it and you're trying to now, now I want to, I want to live my life for God. I want to do the right thing. I used to go into that temple and eat that meat. I used to go there and worship. And I don't understand why you, you go in there. I don't understand how you can eat what I used to give as my offering to my God. How... How can you do that and be spiritual? Can you see that connection that a disciple might have with another and how that would create conflict and confusion and mistrust? Those are scary things. It can happen today. So, imagine someone who actually gets baptized, they're a new disciple, and they're zealous. I don't want to have any part of that stuff. I don't want to be around it. I've had enough of that life. I am separating myself as much as I can from how that looked. I'm stepping away. I don't want to have any part. I don't want anyone to be confused that that's what I believe. While you have another person, what's the problem? I like me. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So what the issue here is, is that you have a group of people that are talking about their rights 
that something is right, it's okay to do, there's nothing wrong with it, therefore why would you be having a problem with me? That's your problem. That's your difficulty, not mine. You just need to come around to where I'm at and how I think about this. You go, whew, boy, that's a lot of struggles right there. And so you have these group of people that believe they know something showing no concern for someone that is in a different place. And it causes them to struggle and it causes them perhaps even to do something against their conscience and sin. So, Paul sums up, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You know, what does that mean? What is that attitude? And he goes, meat's nothing. Right. I, I'm not saved by meat. It, it, if it hurts you that I eat meat, I'm not going to eat it. Whoa. All right, so let's pull out of here four principles. I believe in this section there are four principles. And I'm going to be saying this a couple of times as we walk through it, so bear with me, okay? The first one is, what is permissible behavior for one person may in certain circumstances be dangerous and sinful for another. I'm going to say that again. What is permissible behavior for one person might in certain circumstances be dangerous and even sinful for another. We're going to come back and we're going to have some real life examples, okay? So then the second one is, a disciple's behavior cannot be evaluated solely from the standpoint of knowledge. A disciple's behavior must also be evaluated in the light of our love for our brothers and sisters and how the, our behaviors might possibly influence them and what they may think of it. All right, I'll repeat that again. That was a lot. So a disciple's behavior cannot be evaluated solely from the standpoint of knowledge. A disciple's behavior must also be evaluated in the light of our love for our brothers and sisters and the behavior's possible influence upon them and what they may think of it. Then I believe another principle that Paul has put forth here is no Christian has a right to practice anything, however innocent it may be to him, if in doing that behavior if in doing that behavior he damages the faith of another. Do you see conflict here? The potential of great conflict here? Because you're feeling like but I know this is right. I know that I'm not sinning and I know that it's okay. And I have someone over here that believes it's wrong and it hurts them and they don't think it's right and they question what I'm doing. Wow. So the final one, number four is whatever is done even to the weakest member of the body of Christ is also done to Christ himself. Weakening 
or destroying the faith of even the least and weakest of Christ's members is a sin against Christ himself. Guys, this is deep stuff here. This is deep stuff here because this puts limitations on our rights. It makes us have to think about these things. So let's have some practical application and say, all right, meet to idols. I get that that was their thing then. What's our thing now? What could it be? You know, I, I struggle with that because, you know, for practical application, I was racking my brain over the, the life of being a disciple in my journey. And there are several personal examples that I have from my own life that I'll just share. And some of them fit sort of, and some of them fit really well. But I want to share with them because the concepts behind this are, are really what I'm talking about. So one of them was actually the night I met Roxanne. I met her at a dance. I was walking back to my dorm and bumped into each other. And all we ended up doing that night was dancing. All right. She was putting on this party and for the entire several uh, dorms that were there, she was vice president of the, the, the hall, I can't remember the exact title, but that's not important. She was putting on this dance. I showed up. I liked her. I hung around and danced. Okay? <laughs> that's the story. What I found out years later is that there was a guy there. His name was Robert Goodman. And Robert came up to me and he said, I never told you this before. I was there at that dance. And I was watching you. I was watching to see what you were going to do. Because I didn't want to become a Christian if it weren't real. And I was looking at you to give me a reason that it wasn't real. <laughs> I was shocked. I was shocked. So someone watching how I'm living and acting in a certain circumstances, basing their decision on whether they're going to follow Christ or not. That's powerful. Yeah. He ended up being in my wedding. <laughs> I'm glad for that. And we've been friends ever since all these years since I was 18. But wow. Here's another one. So I remember again when I was in college and I was single, uh, invited a guy over to my apartment and, I, you know, I had a stereo. Stereo was a big deal. It was a big thing that if you didn't ha I didn't have anything. I had nothing. I had a stereo, though. <laughs> stereo was very important. And so I turned on the music and I was getting to know this group because I never really listened to them very much. I, but I, I had a tape, a cassette tape. Yes, I did. And I was playing it. It was The Doors. And so my visitor yelled at me. What are you doing? How could you listen to this music? This music is horrible. You can't be a Christian and listen to this music. I was like, 
I'm 18 years old, maybe 19 at this point. I'm like, holy cow, what's going on? I said, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? And he says, I did drugs to this music. This is drug music. How could you possibly do this? And so we had to have a conversation that I don't do drugs. I didn't, but I wasn't going to argue with him about it. I turned it off. You see what I'm saying? You see the connection this individual had with some behavior, some activity, and what that person, where that person lived and their thinking, and you go, well, how could I be accountable for that? Well, they told me. So once they told me and I understood, I'm accountable. Does that make sense? So another example, again, was with dating Roxanne. <laughs> so I can remember being in Atlanta, and I can't remember the, the, the circumstance, but we got in an argument. It's not a smart argument, but the argument was, can you be a Christian and drink? Roxanne was a new Christian. And she wanted to live a life different than everyone else was around her. She was rejecting the stuff that was in her life. Of, she didn't want to have an example to where anyone would question why or what she was doing. And I'm arguing, but there's nothing wrong with it. I don't get drunk. You see what I'm saying? But we're having an argument about it when I should have just said well amen I'm glad you feel that way and allow time for her to mature and become an older Christian to determine if that's something that she wants to do or not does that make sense so I've had a bunch of examples over, over the years. So one that was later, and I was probably the age of my son, Ben, and I was in a grocery store, and I was meandering down the beer wine aisle looking at stuff, and a brother came around the corner and goes, Steve, what are you doing in this aisle? Are you going to buy wine or beer? I was thinking about it. <laughs> kind of thinking I was going to do that. And so I said, not today. <laughs> <laughs> not going to do it right now. And I went on home without it. Because it wasn't that important. We had a conversation later, but do you see what I'm saying? Is that in real life, in, in interactions, these kind of things are going on. I could fight. I could argue. I could say, I know this to be true. And I could be right. I could be oh so wrong. So those are some of my examples. I think the worst one, honestly, uh, when I was an elder, 
was a situation where some single sisters were studying with a married woman and they wanted to have a girls night out and so what they did is they thought wouldn't dancing be fun let's go dancing so they went out to a local place an establishment to dance and they're dancing and they're having some drinks and didn't take long where some guys were coming up and hitting on them and it got awkward and then the person that they had invited to come that they were studying with drank too much wouldn't you know her ex now she's a married woman was there they went home together they went somewhere together and one of the sisters drank too much and then it all comes to me but they started with innocence they started with this is okay thing to do with good intent do you see what I'm saying yeah. you can be right and I was so wrong yeah. Yeah. and uh, what so sometimes we have to think beyond what we know is okay to what can happen with what we know is okay so so far I've been giving you examples from my own life let's go back to some hypotheticals okay but actually this may be worse I don't know so um, so let's pretend that I'm a disciple and you've invited me over to your house and I come over to your house and I see there's a, a bar and there's bottles of alcohol everywhere and uh, you know you put on an apron that says it's wine 30 somewhere you know it's <laughs> uh, let, let me just ask you this question what could I be thinking coming into your home and you haven't said a thing you haven't talked to me about what you believe or what you value or how you act if I am recently from the world what does that look like to me if you were in my shoes what would you think Has, have they done anything wrong? Have they? You see what I'm saying? Is that I'm a disciple and we haven't had a conversation. We don't really know each other. You're trying to get to know me. What's this going to look like? So let me give you some hypotheticals about me. What if I come over to your house and I struggle with substance abuse and alcoholism and that's been an, a demon of mine and I'm coming out from that what if one of my parents or someone I know drank and abused me when they're drunk what if I had something traumatic happen to me because someone was drinking what if my family broke up over it. What if I don't really want to drink, but I want to fit in? 
What if I'm a disciple trying to understand the difference between how a Christian should behave and what is worldly behavior and I'm just confused? Is this getting real to us? What meat sacrificed to idols can actually really mean in these interactions with these, these guidelines that Paul is giving? It's tough because on one hand, what's wrong with this? And on the other hand, there's this other person who has feelings and a life and thinking and a background, and they're trying to relate with me. Mm-hmm. And we're both trying to be like our king. So the question becomes, would you adjust your behavior or approach in any way? Or would you focus on doing whatever you believe is okay is the most important thing? Do you view it as your right and that there's nothing wrong with it? And therefore, it's the other person's problem. That is the choice here. So I use drinking as an example because it's very easy to relate to, but there are many other areas that we could talk about. There, there really are. I mean, we could talk about our, our jobs, the work, the way we work, what kind of work we're doing, and uh, the money we make, how, how we spend the money. Well, what are we doing with this money that, that we earn? You know, we, we could look at that. We could look at you know, how much I buy, what my priorities are, my a dating life, okay? Uh, how you dress, your clothing. And I'm not even necessarily talking about modesty. I'm just talking about adornment. I'm talking about all these different things that we could do because our culture is very much outward focused, shallow. And so what may be right, other people are looking and going, well, where's this guy coming from? What does he really believe? And you go, why is all this being put on me? (laughs) I'm just doing me. But we live in a fellowship. We live in a body that's our kings and it's not my kingdom. I appreciate you bearing with me on this because this is, This is not a a light lesson at all. It really isn't. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate you giving me this one so much. (laughs) So here's the concepts. Let's go back through them again, okay? Knowledge is proud, but wisdom is humble. The important thing is that God knows us, not that we know God. Idols are nothing. And there is only one God. Jesus is Lord. What is permissible behavior for one person might in certain circumstances be dangerous and sinful for another. A disciple's behavior cannot be evaluated solely from the standpoint of knowledge. A disciple's behavior must also be evaluated in the light of our love for our brothers and sisters and how that behavior's possible influence is upon them. And what they think about it. No Christian has the right to practice anything, however innocent it may be to him, if in doing that behavior he damages the faith of another. And whatever is done even to the weakest member of the body of Christ 
is also done to Christ himself. Weakening or destroying the faith of even the least and weakest of Christ's members is a sin against Christ himself. Wow. Who knew that a chapter about eating meat sacrificed to idols could be so relevant and challenging for us today? Now, let me just say this. If today's lesson has la- is leaving you a bit unsettled, okay, if it is making you feel a bit defensive, kind of lean into it a bit and, and ask yourself why. You know, because the fact is we're going to go even deeper into this subject in the next few chapters, and it's going to even get broader, okay, in some ways when you get into chapter 9 and chapter 10. Okay, so I didn't jump ahead at at all for for this today. So there's going to be more clarification from Paul. And so in this situation, you might discover that you've been on this side. I'm the person with the knowledge, and I have to think about what do I need to be concerned about? What, What do I need to adjust in my thinking? Or... I'm the person over here that is going, what in the world? I don't understand what is going on here. How can this person do this? This makes me feel this way, and I don't agree, and I just want to do right. And I, Is that right? Maybe I should do that. I don't know. Which are you? You could be that, okay? This is something that we need to study. We need to talk about. Getting to know, this is why one another is so important, is we have to get to know each other to know these things are going on in our thinking with each other, where we're at, so we can clue in and behave the right way with each other. To to really show the love and concern for one another that's necessary, because that's what's most important. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.